we can find those little activities that we say, oh, actually, maybe I got a better return on investment on that than I thought, because we might not always be tracking those marketing activities as well as we should be. We get busy and we haven't got the best tracking tools going, but that will allow you to use the numbers, to mine the data, to find those activities that are worth trying again. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. How vital could bookkeeping be? Isn't it all about capturing all the transactions and creating a bunch of statements to file taxes. Well, strategic financial planning is where your real opportunities reside. If you are not strategic about it, you may be chasing wrong opportunities that may not have as much financial value as you would if you were strategic with your bookkeeping. In today's episode, we have our guest Jeannie Doherty who discusses how strategic bookkeeping differs from tactical bookkeeping. She also describes the five pillars of strategic bookkeeping and how most owners think of bookkeeping as numbers 101. Finally, she discusses how to find comparable industry data to lead the negotiation and keep your costs in check and how to do budgeting and spend analysis to create the strategic financial framework that will help you scale. Let me introduce Jeannie to you. Jeannie is a bookkeeper, trainer, and business coach registered with the Tax Practitioners Board. Her 30 plus years of experience is steeped in entrepreneurial success, including helping her family scale a retail business from a $10 million to a $100 million revenue earner and sell to a public company. These days, Jeannie spends her time helping business owners transform from surviving to thriving through the power of numbers. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Jeannie, welcome hey. <laughs> to the show. Hey, Sam, how are you? I am wonderful and I am super excited to have you. Just to kick things off, Jeannie, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Sure thing. So um, I'm Jeannie Doherty. I'm on the Gold Coast in Australia, beautiful Gold Coast. So my personal story, um, I'm currently running a strategic bookkeeping practice, but okay. my history is very much in um, retail, big, big retail. So I helped our family business grow their last retail business from 10 to 100 million turnover before being acquired by a public company. So I call that my apprenticeship in all things business. <laughs> and um <laughs> 
And after that, you know, I was, um, I traveled a bit, but I, I hopped around in other roles and I always needed to be problem solving. If I'm not problem solving, I am rocking in a corner. <laughs> and then um, what I decided was sometime later when I was going to start a family, that bookkeeping would be a great option for me because every business needs really great bookkeeping, really great accounting. So I thought this is an area I can really contribute. And that's how I ended up where I am today. Okay, amazing. Great background, great story. And one of the things that really intrigues me is going to be when we think of bookkeeping, I don't know how many people think of that as strategic. Okay, so this is going to be very insightful overall since you are calling this as strategic bookkeeping. Okay, wonderful. So we are going to dig into all of that. But before we do that, we have one of the standard questions. And that is going to be, Jeannie, your perspective on business growth. On business growth, yes. So I think I have a little bit of a unique perspective. And that is, I think that it's really important for businesses to try and scale rather than grow. Because I think of growing as growing our revenue. And something that I like to say is we can grow and grow and grow and grow and bust. And that's where, I guess, strategic bookkeeping comes in. So whereas scale, we're going to be growing our revenue while minimizing our operating costs, uh, keeping our cost of sales in check or reducing them where we can. And we're going to be growing that profit and that cash commiserate with growing that revenue. So for me, um, that is scale, whereas growth, you know, we can grow anything, but scaling a business, I think that's where it's at. Yes, you are so right. And I love that perspective. So let's dive right into the strategic bookkeeping. So describe how the strategic bookkeeping works. And if you have any specific story that you might be able to share from your experience where, let's say, if they were not doing as strategic bookkeeping before, but then you tried to do the strategic bookkeeping and whatever the results you had because of the strategic bookkeeping. Do you have any story or do you want to describe what that is for our listeners? Yes, I might do a little bit of both. So um, strategic bookkeeping is a lot like management accounting and strategic bookkeeping, it takes into account five things. So numbers 101, which is accurate, up-to-date accounting records, the foundation of everything. Then it takes into account numbers knowledge, which is really just, do I understand what I'm looking at? The third part is what I call numbers strategy, which is a lot around categorization of the income and expenses in the profit and loss. So it's your chart of accounts. Once we go past numbers strategy, that set us up for the next phase, which is numbers targets. So that's your budgets, your targets, your KPIs, that kind of thing. So setting those targets. And the last part of the strategic bookkeeping definition or model is is monitoring those targets. So how did we go comparing the budget to the actual and what action do we need to take? So when we combine all those elements is when we have an opportunity to optimise our business performance. And that's what I define as strategic bookkeeping. Interesting. So let's say if I'm not familiar with what typically businesses do when it comes to the bookkeeping practices, right? So here you are defining this as the strategic bookkeeping. 
But if I look at this as layman, then the majority of the activities that you described, I'm simply taking it for granted that any bookkeeper should do this. Okay, so what are they not doing when they are, let's say, not doing these strategic bookkeeping? I love this. <laughs> so it's a, a, a bookkeeper does numbers 101, and that is yeah. it generally. So a bookkeeper will do numbers 101. A strategic bookkeeper will do the whole five. The other thing is a bookkeeper, even if they try and go beyond numbers 101, they often don't have a structured methodology and hold you accountable and really try and get those results happening. Um, they might just show you the profit and loss, ask you a few questions. So a strategic bookkeeper has a system, a methodology um, and tools in the background, but they definitely use all five of those. Interesting. So are you saying numbers 101? Can you describe that a little bit more, what that is? Because I don't know if my listeners are going to be familiar with that term. Yes, absolutely. So numbers 101 is very much up to date accurate accounting records. So it's okay. it's those numbers that you've got to work with weekly and it's just more often than not. We see a lot of business owners getting that one wrong, you know, um, and it and, and it's just it's a, it's the foundation of of everything. Yeah. And um and to you know to tell you a little bit of maybe how this works in real business. I probably will think I've got so many stories, but one in particular that does some food manufacturing, a client of mine. Um, okay. So when he came to us, he didn't really have any of these in order. So his numbers weren't up to date or accurate and therefore nothing else was really flowing. So once okay. we got those numbers up to date and accurate, we had the numbers to look at. Then we sat down with him and we just helped him to understand how to read those numbers, so how to really understand what it all meant. Now, the more powerful part for him came in that numbers strategy. So then we sat down and really moved those numbers around in the profit and loss. So his food costs and his um, packaging costs and all of those kind of things, getting them categorised in a way that we were getting ready to set those KPIs, to set those yeah. budgets and to also look at, so let's say we've got, um, so we get those numbers strategic for him, we move into those numbers targets, we've got that turnover now and we can set some turnover targets, we can start to look at what is optimal business performance for him and that is so important. So what we did there is we were able to look at some benchmarks and decide on a set of KPIs from the benchmarks. In Australia, we'll get those generally off our taxation website, um, but there are a lot of places that you can buy them too. They're very yeah. powerful data. So we get those benchmarks and say, okay, yep, revenue, we think this is what your revenue target will be. And and he's going to talk about the critical drivers that get him there. And I could talk about that in a minute. And then we looked at the cost of sales and then the wages as well. And what portion of wages is going into, you know, um, the food prep and all these other things and what portion is admin and start to really set some targets there. And he was able to do some really meaningful work based around those numbers to slowly incrementally push those cost of sales down and that is scaling you know he was because yes the revenue will go up little by little yeah but if you can push those cost of sales down a little bit by understanding what optimal business performance looks like 
that profit is fattening up and it's not taking a lot of effort to do that. The other thing that we were able to do when we looked at cost of sales with him and the food costs seemed a bit high, again, when you shine a light on those numbers, we were able to just say, well, why do you think that is? And then he's able to scratch his head, think about why that might be and come up with some answers. And in this case, as happens with with food, so he does... um, fresh food prep as well so he was having wastage and wastage is really difficult in the food industry so then he he came up with the idea to take that wastage and create a new product from that and again all of that is born out of the numbers and that product for him was a pet food and that's um you know so in effect the cost of sales was virtually zero because it was going to go in the bin so that's Seeing clients make those decisions that make such a big difference to the bottom line is is so exciting. Okay, interesting story. But what I really want you to do is I want you to go one level or two levels deeper into the story. So right now, you mentioned a couple of things, especially the numbers were not up to date. So when you say numbers were not up to date, can you provide a specific example of which numbers are you talking about that were not up to date? Were these different costs that were not captured accurately or were they not capturing these transactions timely? Can you also describe the size of the business and the kind of products that they were selling? What were different uh, cost elements in their business? So go one, two, three level deeper into the story if you could. So in terms of numbers 101 and not having those up-to-date accurate accounting records, with some clients we see uh, a lot of errors in this and, and then with other clients it's just simply behind. It's just simply that they haven't kept it up to date. In in the case of this client who does, um, they do fresh food prep. They've got 20 on the team. Um okay. They, with their numbers, they were very much behind. So there were months and months and months of of banking data and bills that just, so they'd keyed their revenue in and that's what we often find. People have made the effort to keep the sales in and the revenue, but they've fallen behind on getting the expenses in, getting the bills in, and therefore they haven't been able to reconcile the banks or match anything off. And usually, and in this case, it definitely happened when they've done that, they've then got a series of errors. So he absolutely had some things in the background that were categorised incorrectly. Some were simple. It might have been um, where he's missing tax deductions on things because he had some expenses categorised without a tax type on there that he needed to claim. And then there were other scenarios where perhaps something should have been in the cost of sales and it was sitting in the operational cost. So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the worst worst catch up that we've done because we do a lot around numbers 101 and bringing people up to date. We see some just horror jobs. But with with this client, it was primarily, I'd say 80%, it was that they were just fallen behind months and months and months behind and about 20% where we had some errors that we needed to fix in the numbers. Okay, interesting. So, okay, so now I got the problem that they were really behind overall in terms of bookkeeping. So they didn't really have the real estate of the business. And because of that, they could not really analyze the data if they and they did not have real insight into the business why uh, what whatever was happening why that was happening and once you bring that real time then you are going to have 
the the insight that you really need to be able to make the business decisions so that's great but now let's talk about your budgeting process right and i am trying to dig into all of those five steps in this story so you did mention that you know what once everything was in order the numbers were up to date the number 11 was done and after that then your goal was to really do the budgeting and compare that with the industry standards i'm super curious about this process how this works so let's say if i have one of the clients in the food manufacturing space so describe how you had done that for this specific client in slightly deeper detail mention the the kind of you know the account names from the budgeting perspective that that you looked at and then you how you compared where you got that data from from the taxation department i think you mentioned so each of the account that you you looked at and how you found the data to be able to compare to make sure that those cost elements are really aligned in the business you are not really overpaying you are not underpaying and every cost element that you have in the business is being tracked So in terms of the numbers targets and the numbers monitoring and moving into that budgeting process which in terms of budgeting is very much you know I feel like budget is there's lots of words for budget sometimes a client yeah. says to me I need a budget and they mean I need a cash flow forecast so really we're just looking at the targets and then what were the actuals and how far from the targets were we so in this case when we looked at so we were working with the profit and loss in this yeah. case we weren't really working around the cash flow the cash flow was pretty good we're choosing to focus around the profit and loss so we were looking at the revenue so first of all you know what kind of revenue did they need to make to um to really get where they needed to go so yeah. we set a revenue target and the next thing that i want to mention from that is that when we set that revenue target we need to ask the a business owner to come up with the critical drivers that are going to drive throughout yeah. the month him to get towards that target. So for example, once we set that revenue target, he's going to say to me, "Okay, well, social media is working really well for us. This is what we're doing. Here's yeah. our what I call kit marketing strategy, keep in touch. Um we'll, you know, we'll look at um improving our CRM and these are the actions we're going to take throughout the month so that we're not just looking in the rear vision mirror when we get to the end of the month, we're actually because the at the end of the month when we look at that budget versus actual, then that is reactive and we still we absolutely need to do that but those critical drivers or norms they are the proactive actions that we're going to take throughout the month to help us get to that that budget so in terms of revenue that's how we look at that one then okay. into the into the cost of sales we primarily looked at the packaging costs and the food costs so the packaging okay. costs separately where again setting a, a KPI around that based on the benchmarks again which um we had a look at and we decide have a discussion around how relevant are those benchmarks to your business because they're not perfect you're going to have to modify things a little bit so have a look at those benchmarks decide on a a number around that packaging and then again what are the critical drivers so in this case he said okay well i've already identified that if i look at this kind of packaging company and i buy this you know more of a bulk then i can save this much and 
put one foot in front of the other and start to make those incremental changes that 12 months down the track are going yeah. to lead to that, that profit being fatter. Because that's the other thing I like to say to a client. When we first do this process, we're on day one of a 365-day journey. So it's not all going to happen on day one, but we do need to keep moving forward. So they were some of the, I guess I call that above the line. So first of all, we're working above the line. And for anyone who doesn't, hasn't heard of that terminology, that means above the gross profit. So I love, I love to look at when we're, when we're doing this kind of work, we're working above the gross profit line, because that's a whole different ball game, right? And then we're working below the line. So now we're into operational costs and, and looking at that. Um, and an example of the operational cost, and this is, a, I think, one that most people will relate to, is marketing. So we see two things in, in marketing, and we definitely saw it in this business, is that they're either spending too much or they're spending not enough, yeah? And if they're not spending enough, it usually comes down to either, you know, a, look, a healthy fear around the numbers and trying to minimise expenditure, or that they've got to blow out in another area. For example, um, a big one for everyone in this space is rent as a percentage of turnover. So in this case, we had um, no, no real marketing spend. So it was encouraging him that perhaps it was worthwhile to look at what um, a marketing spend should be in a business like his and consider if he was putting that money into marketing, what would be the effect on the, the revenue? So that's some of the examples. Um, and then also just with rent as a percentage of turnover, that one I'm super passionate about, really. And, you know, I've been into businesses and in 20 minutes it's been game-changing just pointing out this figure. So every benchmark is going to have rent as a percentage of turnover. And you've got, for example, in Australia, if you've got a factory in an industrial area, then rent yeah. as a percentage of turnover tends to be about five or six percent, eight on the high end. Whereas if you're in retail, it's going to be more like 20%, right? So with the rent as a percentage of turnover, I like to say you're either winning or losing. And he was kind of about in the middle. It wasn't disastrous. We didn't need to take terrible action. But yeah. with that revenue increasing, that rent as a percentage of turnover is going to come down. So that one is, is really critical. I get very excited when clients are winning the rent as a percentage of turnover game, even by 2%. Because for me, that's, you know, in these kind of industries, 2%, 3%, 5%, it's a, it's a lot. Um, and then the other thing in terms of this budgeting and all that kind of thing is I like to say, you know, um, don't fix what ain't broke. <laughs> I don't know if you say yeah. that over there. Um, so, you know, we're not, we're not going to be having to mine the data on every single one of the numbers. Usually yeah. in any business, we're looking at one main number and then a secondary number and then a third. So it's primarily three. Beyond three, I'll be honest, you're, you're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's usually something like the cost of sales number, the wages number, and then maybe the rent, you know, but say they're killing it on the turnover side, but these other ones might be killing them. So we're going to look at those key numbers and make sure that find the pain and prioritise as well. So for me, budgeting is also really about prioritising. So for this client, his focus absolutely had to be 
on cost of sales because he was really struggling in that food cost of sales area because of wastage. So that work that he did to create a new product around the the um, pet food, you know, was was really that reminder, that knock in the head, cost of sales, cost of sales, cost of sales, cost of sales. And then um, in terms of rent, when the landlord did want to put the rent up, he was already and armed with that numbers knowledge to say, you know what, I can't pay more rent. This is where I'm at. And he's actually ended up moving. So these, these, this information in the numbers sets you up to make those better business decisions as well. Okay, I like a lot of that, to be honest, and there are there is a real insight there overall in a lot of different things that you mentioned. So let's touch on each of them in sequence. So I am actually going to start with your revenue numbers, and, and, and you mentioned a couple of um, critical drivers there in terms of revenue. And you did mention that the social media, if the social media is, let's say, working, then you might want to double down on that or whatever you want to do. I mean, you are trying to create some sort of marketing channels, I guess, you know, from the revenue perspective. So are you really trying to analyze what is going to really bring that revenue and what cost can we allocate for those channels so that you are going to get the revenue that you are looking for? uh, And the way you are really verifying the viability of your channels is going to be your historical data. So whatever data you have from the past, you are trying to analyze, okay, if the social media really worked for you, then I am actually trying to increase in the same proportion as it, it has worked in the past, then most likely it should work in the future as well. Am I accurate in this assessment? Would it change anything from the critical success factor perspective in making sure that you are going to get the revenue? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. The only extra thing I tend to add is, um, it is, you know, somewhere we see people waste a lot of money is marketing because they tend to, um, I call it, throw shit up against a wall. So yeah. um, that is <laughs> rather than go back and do the deep planning. Um, and I do think there's a strategy behind strategy in marketing. Yeah. And, yeah, when we look at that revenue number and shine a light on the whole year, so we look at those numbers over 12 months, and we see the ups and downs, you know, it just takes a, what did you do there? What happened there? Look at the marketing expenditure and say, well, if you did, so tell me about that marketing activity because the sales went up the next month. So that, you know, that's where it all comes from the numbers. Okay. So how are you segmenting these marketing activities? Can you talk about, you know, how detailed do you need to go? Uh, Are we looking at simply five different cost elements at the broad level and simply oh yeah yeah for sure so in terms of marketing spend what each business needs to do is think about the categories that are going to be meaningful to them and i'll give you an example so um so just in my business, for example, I'm big on tracking tracking marketing and I'll have all my, so in the profit and loss, because you want your profit and loss set up to work for you and your targets, right? So in your profit and loss, you're going to have, for example, maybe five marketing categories and that might be marketing website costs. That might be next marketing printed material, marketing branding. So it really needs to be bespoke for your business. So you need to sit down, look at the activities that you're spending money on and make sure that in the chart of accounts, the general ledger, you're breaking that down into um, more than just the, the marketing category. And I think 
be a little specific when it comes to marketing because, for example, marketing digital. Well, what's digital? AdWords, yeah. website, you know. So for me, well, hang on a sec, my social media is a bit different to mine for any business, right? The social media spend is different to the AdWords spend. The money that I invest in keeping my website up to date, etc. again, that's a different kind of marketing activity. So really, really important that you find enough meaningful categories, not too many, not probably not 10. <laughs> I think I have about five or six marketing copywriting can be a really yeah. good one in this day and age because we know that cop marketing copy is massive content marketing. So when you break those down, then what you can do, because we always want to be looking at that profit and loss over 12 months, okay, we're going to bring that profit and loss up over 12 months. We're going to be looking at the total for the year rather than the financial year because that's a bit of a trap because we want to see what are we tracking for the 12 months, but then we want to see a nice, that revenue line that we can put our eyes across and go, okay, you know, for, for a lot of businesses, it's going to be reasonably steady, but we're going to have those peaks and troughs. And when we look at a peak, we want to take our eyes down to marketing <laughs> and yep. we want to see what did we do in that month or two or three prior? Like, what did yep. we do? Did we set up a really great brand partnership with someone? There's another category. Um, but then we can drill into that marketing. And, oh, okay, you know what? You know, what did I do there? Because we know in business we get busy and it's we're just forward focused. We, you know, we often aren't thinking about what did we do. And we can find those little activities that we say, oh, actually, maybe I got a better return on investment on that than I thought, because we might not always be tracking those marketing activities as well as we should be. We get busy and we haven't got the best tracking tools going, but that will allow you to use the numbers to mine the data to find those activities that are worth trying again. Okay. So if that was a social media campaign for you, Maybe we're going to try that social media campaign again. Maybe we're going to dig in and get some more data on that. Um, so that's where that those revenue trends, because we do want to look at the trends, we're not the cost of sales trends, revenue trends, all of these things. That's where those trends are going to allow us to look in the rear vision mirror again and see what did we do that influence those trends. And the same is true for for expenditure blowouts too, and, and mainly around wages, you know, and and um, staffing budgets and, you know, what did we do that, that caused the blowout, that kind of thing. Yeah, so some very interesting comments there, and especially when we talk about tracking these costs and especially designating them on E&L so we can get the real insight that we need, at least from the planning perspective, from the budgeting perspective. So one of the comments that you made about the, the copywriting costs, now, copywriting could be extremely catchy, but as such, let's say if I'm thinking more from the business owner perspective, and if I'm simply doubling down on my copywriting, is that really going to increase my, my sales? So in your perspective, let's say when you are creating these startup accounts for the budgeting and planning, and especially from the strategic bookkeeping, do you think it should be more outcome focused? Or should it be more the cost focused? So in my mind, when I look at the book uh, copy writing, it's almost very cost focused. But when I'm looking at from the planning perspective, I think that should be some sort of campaign that we have done. I mean, the copywriting should be allocated to an activity that is actually going to 
result in sales if we are simply tracking the copywriting that's almost like a cost element that cannot directly result in revenue what would you think of that yeah so i think it's a bit of both so okay. and again i think so it depends on the business so let's say in let's say in this case with this um this food manufacturing business and yeah. they're moving into the prep uh the the pet food and so they're doing a bit of a pivot, new product. So as as you know, what happens there is you go and invest money in things that you're looking to get a return out of later. So this is actually why even in my PL, when it comes to marketing, I'm quite particular. Uh, one of my team does my bookkeeping and I'm always like, you've got to, I want this marketing expense here and I want this one there because if it is a cost at the moment, so a whole lot of stuff on branding, a whole lot of stuff on copywriting, which exactly what you said, to some extent, that's a cost because we're not, we may not be looking to get a return on that immediately unless yeah. it is relevant to, like you say, a campaign. So some basic copy around your social media campaign. But if we're doing some full-on content, writing a book as a lead magnet, that kind of thing, that copywriting is going to feel like a real cost that impacts the bottom line and in effect, we're investing back into our business. And so that comes back to what I talked about with trends. So, you know, the, the one month doesn't tell the story. But if we're looking at the 12 months and we're looking and saying, okay, we went into this pet product and we invested money here in new packaging and some new logos and branding and that kind of thing. And then we went about getting a copywriter to start doing some blog pieces and content marketing. And we're not necessarily looking for that to generate revenue, but the work around the CRM and contacting our database and some social media that we are. We want to be able to see those trends over time so that if revenue is just nicely creeping up, because that's what we prefer, right? We don't want peaks and troughs. We want what I call Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> we want things to, to repeat over and over and, and improve increment, incrementally because that's a lot healthier. So when we can see those income trends this year based on last year, for example, then we know that investment that we put into the business, which at the time felt like a real cost, we can still look and go, okay, my planning worked out. I was on the right track. So that's, I, I, I totally understand what you mean. And that's why I like to break the marketing up so much so that we can identify Yes, that's a bloody cost at the moment, but I know yeah. why I'm doing it and I know what the fruits of my labor will be. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the rent aspect. And I really enjoyed the way you explained there. And it was almost like you got the signal that, you know what, you should not be paying more than this because your industry is not paying. And that is probably your chance to be able to renegotiate the deal with the owner that they might be raising the rent. But in this particular case, let's say if I look at more from the real estate perspective, I could also analyze this by looking at, let's say, the real estate data. So I don't know how it works in Australia, but if you're looking at, let's say, US or the Canadian real estate market, you can probably get the rent, comparable rent from there, and you can probably find out whether you are paying more or less. So is this the exercise that you did in, in terms of knowing that you may have an opportunity to be able to renegotiate your rent? Is that just a signal that you are getting from PNL or are you getting more than that? And then you are actually looking at the real estate data, whether uh, you, know, you are paying the appropriate rent or not. 
Yeah, look, yeah, definitely more than the PL. And that probably comes from my background in, you know, large retail, all that yep. kind of thing, and a lot of exposure there. And I have commercial property myself. So um within the case so and that um food manufacturer is a good example. So in the case of theirs, and, and we all know COVID hit and all of these things have happened, and we've still been impacted in Australia with a lot of lockdowns. So so they went in, into a new premises a few years ago and they got some really good sweet rent deals. And um, and then it got to a point where the rent was going to increase and that kind of thing. And exactly that those kind of conversations. So then we sit down. So first of all, it's going to come for the numbers. This is the maximum you can pay before we start to feel some real pain here, yeah? And realistically, we can get another premises. You know, if that's what the owner says, this wouldn't be that hard in this case. He says, I can move my equipment, et cetera. So then we just look at, I call this the economic landscape. So what is happening, like you say, in real estate, what is happening in the economy? What is the supply and demand equation? Also, your landlord is to a large extent in business with you and landlords understand rent as a percentage of turnover. That one always surprises my clients. Like, yeah. you know, some sometimes it's worth doing a little bit of open book management and just saying, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm negotiable, but I can only, you can't get blood out of a stone. So in this case, walking around the area, seeing what's vacant, all of those kind of things and gathering his data, he, you know, he had his meeting with the landlord and he said, well, this is all I can do this, you know, and if you can't do that, then I'm going to have to move. And the landlord said, okay, well, you'll have to move. And he was all set to, and then the landlord said, okay, I'll give you what you want. So in that case, and yes, absolutely, you need to look at absolutely everything. Okay. And in your experience, when you look at this comparable data from the industry and working with your own clients, what should be the ideal technology spend? And I don't know if that varies with growth, but what should be the percentage of turnover that you should be investing in the technology? And I'm not talking about the product technology. I'm talking about the process technology that is really invested in your business processes that is actually going to bring down your cost, whether you talk about the admin stuff, whether you talk about bookkeeping, obviously, uh, if you implement an ERP system, then a lot of these things that you are doing uh, could be automated. You can do a lot more analysis. So from your experience, what should be the ideal technology spent for the company? Look, as a percentage of turnover, I'm not sure. For me, because I absolutely love my tech and I believe that it goes in the order of tech, then processes and people. So for me, it's more when I go into a business and we have a look at the numbers like I'm talking about. And for example, I'm, you know, I'm in a more of a, in one of the trade businesses that have got a $4 million turnover and I identified the gap in tech for them that's costing them money. So it's more, and look in the, just as an example. So when I was in uh, growing our family business from 10 to a hundred million, looking at tech spends there, it, it wouldn't have been unusual for, I mean, we were looking at spends on new tech of around a million dollars. So, but it's when it comes down to tech, it's all about return on investment. So the numbers are more around what you can make out of the tech than what you're spending on the tech. And look, you know, whether that's between 
as low as 1% or whether it's as high as 5%. You know, the tech is all about the return on investment. And another example of of this, uh, a business that I've got them to start implementing a new tech, and it's, it's not very, it's more expensive than other players, but not very, very expensive. But in terms of they're not even thinking about the cost of the tech because it was so obvious immediately that they're going to save money on um, administration costs, that they're going to be able to push out more jobs and that kind of thing. So in tech, I think it's more the return on investment. And from the beginning, is it is it going to be something that the company can afford to start with? Like obviously a million-dollar tech for a $100 million organisation with profits maybe around the, oh, their profits were maybe up around that $10 million. Then that $1 million for tech that would really be game-changing and help them make more sales is going to have been worthwhile. So I think the, the cost of the tech initially, is it something that com- the company could even afford? If it is, then you go down the route of show us how that's going to be a return on investment. Okay, amazing. Do you have any last-minute closing time? Oh, goodness. My only last minute thing would be when it comes to the budgeting, make it work for you. So don't think that you have to use somebody else's form of, you know, a fancy spreadsheet. If you are someone who loves a whiteboard (laughs) um, or numbers on your mirror, like whatever is going to work for you, I want you to think about finding a system that works and don't give up. Keep going with it because mining this data and creating the action plan is really worthwhile. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be the growth path that you might be planning for your company could very well be planned, but you need to be slightly more organized overall in your admin process in the way you are capturing your data. On that note, Jeannie, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been an insightful episode. Lovely. Thanks, Sam. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Jeannie and more tools, tricks, tips and hacks she has created for you, head over to cloud9strategic.com.au forward slash get strategic. It's C-L-O-U-D 9 S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-C dot com dot au forward slash g-e-t-s-t-r-a-t-e-g-i-c links and more information will also be available in the show notes if anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business you might want to check the related episodes including the interview with aaron spool from aventus advisory group who describes what it means to have a cash flow mindset in the organization. Also, the interview with Brian Goffenberg from Vital Hub, who discusses the difference between accounting for a public and private company. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.